Chris Wormel is an illustrator and designer who works mainly with wood engraving. His many credits include the coat of arms for the Royal Opera House, a campaign for Adnam's beer, and a set of stamps for the Royal Mail depicting freshwater life. He's the author and illustrator of many well-loved children's books, including George and the Dragon, Two Frogs, Scruffy Bear, and The Wild Girl. He has illustrated Philip Pullman's Book of Dust, and now a full-colour illustrated gift edition of Northern Lights. I'm very pleased to be welcoming into the reading corner today, Chris Wormel. Chris, it must have taken a very long time. So how long was it in the making? <laughs> it was, in the end, a bit of a mad rush because I didn't really get started on this until the end of March. The timeline really they gave me originally was just literally a, a couple of months. And I said, "That you're kidding. There's no way. Even if I was doing pencil drawings and, and watercolours, which are much quicker than wood engravings, that's impossible, you know. So I said, minimum time I, you can give me for this. I've got to work and up till the end of July. My goodness me. Um, people listening in won't see that my mouth actually dropped when you said <laughs> the time scale that you had to do this in. Because process takes a long time, as you've, you've, you've said that. You know, it's different if you're drawing. But when you are wood engraving, which is your what you've used here mainly I think or, or exclusively not exclusively there were a few pictures partly because of the time deadline and because I knew they like because of the size of the picture and most most of the double there's some double page spreads in here and because the book well it, I mean you know how big it is it's very big a double page spread is is a, is a huge wood engraving to do most of them are done as, as big wood engravings but one or two were done because of what, what was involved in the in the picture, I knew would be a very slow process to do it. I just didn't have the time. I did them as digital engravings because I have I do work digitally in an engraving style. But I have to say, almost all of the book, all the pictures in this book were actual wood engravings wow. that I then coloured digitally on the computer. I want to dig into that process a little bit more, actually. Uh, so for our listeners um, who may or may not be familiar with the technique of wood engraving it's yeah. wood engraving rather than wood cut isn't it that you it is yeah so perhaps we could just explain some of that uh, okay, to right. our listeners wood cut the idea of a wood cut is generally done it's done on the plank side of a wood so say a tabletop you'd cut on the top of the table the plank wood engraving you use a specific sort of wood which is very fine and quite hard grained usually boxwood, that's what it was traditionally, but there are a few other woods that are quite good, not as good as box, but they're pretty good. And the way, what you do then is you cut through the trunk of the wood. So it's the end grain. So if say I had a trunk of wood and then I slice through the trunk, rather than cutting through the plank, which is the, which is the side of the, tr of the trunk, you cut in the end, end of the trunk, so it's the end grain. Mm -hmm. And so that, because of the consistency of the grain of the wood, you get a much more even, you can get a much more perfect sort of surface. So you, it's perfectly flat. So a block of, wood, of um, polished boxwood looks like marble almost. It's so polished, polished yeah. surface. And so you've got, a, and if you can cut very fine on that, you see much finer, and you don't have to take into account the grain of the wood mm. at all. It's like cutting into a well, a lump of plastic or whatever, you know. But much mm. better than that. 
much better and, 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 and boxwood is, is just lovely to cut into so it allows you a much finer cut so you can get all kinds of gradations of, of tones with fine lines and fine marks you also use different tools with wood engraving you use very fine or sometimes fine sometimes less fine chisel-like tools you know which have various different shapes of end point on them you know to get different marks with uh, wood cutting you use tools that are similar to the tools you might use for um, liner cutting, which are sort of gouges. So they're a sort of V-shape or a U-shape, which you gouge out the wood rather than a chisel, which cuts chiseled marks into them. And they're both forms of relief printing. Exactly. Do you do you um, ever use other kinds of relief printing or do you stick to your, your craft of uh, wood engraving? Well, I, d- I do a lot of liner cutting too, too which is closer to the wood cutting I suppose because it's a broader technique and I use that mainly mainly, I started doing that uh, ages ago when I wanted to do bolder bolder pictures with bright colours because you can I was printing several different blocks to make one picture of all different colours and it was and it used to have things with bold black outlines and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. so that's a technique I still use yeah. In the light of what you've told me about now embracing the digital world (laughs) I have to ask you why you stuck with wood engraving, given this deadline. So there is something that makes you want to retain that. What is it? Uh, number one, it's much more pleasurable to actually carve in wood than it is to work on a digital tablet. So there is that. The, there's the aesthetic quality of actually doing the work. And number two, also, it did occur to me that some of the pictures I made for this might be quite nice as prints. Now I can make uh, digital pictures into prints, but then it's not, they're not original prints, they're reproductions in a way. It's still not the same as actually printing on a press, on a letterpress, a block of wood to make a a nice print. And if you get a nice job like Northern Lights was a fantastic job, I would try and do original wood engraving so that I could have the prints. So I'm hoping to make some nice editions of, of prints from this book. When you're given a, a commission like this to work on, how much of uh, the decision making about where the illustrations were going to be was down to you or how much of that came as a brief in terms of we want this double page spread here and it has to show whatever? Well, they did. In the original contract, they gave me a, a number of so many full page pictures, so many double page spreads and so many sort of vignettes, which could be different sizes. Now, I, uh, I interpreted this to mean a full page could be a full page or it could be a, a, a sort of long, thin picture which spread over two pages covering half. So I, I adapted it to suit whatever one I wanted to do. And uh, Andrew Biscombe is the art director at Scholastic. He's the guy I've been working with on the, on the artistic side of this. You know. And he said, do you, I can go through and plonk in where I want pictures or I can leave it to you. And I said, oh, definitely leave it to me. I'd, I'd much rather have the choice. Um, so he gave me a layout of the whole book, a PDF of all the type laid out as it would be on a page, minus the illustrations. And then I literally went through picking out the things I wanted to illustrate. And I'd literally drop them in on top of a sort of double page spread of text. So they wouldn't actually be, the text wouldn't be in the right place. I wouldn't go to the trouble of moving all the text around. I'd literally stick it on top. So therefore I knew that it was going to be changed when it was arranged properly, it would change. But it was more or less where I wanted things to be, you know. 
And then he would then adjust the text so that it flowed around the illustrations where they were. And in some cases, he had to move the illustration to another page. Mm -hmm. So that's the way we, we designed it until we came to towards the end, we needed a fixed number of pages. And we didn't know because I was still working on the sketches while I was doing the finished things. And he said, look, Chris, uh, we need to know exactly how many pages in this book because we've got to get the specifics and whatever out to booksellers and all sorts of things. I said, OK, well, how, what's the maximum? And so he gave me a maximum, said, can't go beyond this. And then I literally, over a weekend, went through the final chapters. And without actually doing the sketches, I just had to think, right, I'm going to do a sketch of that. I'm going to do a picture. And I literally just scribbled roughly where I was going to put pictures on the text just so he could then make those spaces in the rest of the text so we can work out exactly how many pages it was. Well, it focuses the mind. Let's put it like that. <laughs> on that point, actually, it's interesting because I'm now I'm now working on the sketches for subtle, The Subtle Knife. See? The next one, because I said to um, Andrew, get me the text as soon as possible because I don't want to do it like the last time. I don't want it to be as, as mad as that. But we are working through it in, the set, in a similar way in that I'm dropping sketches in on the text and then he's taking it back and then rearranging the text around them. And actually as, uh, on, on that point, if anyone's interested, I'm actually doing an Instagram thing, right? I'm posting a few of the sketches as I'm doing this, if anyone's interested, going through the process of um, putting together the next book, Subtle Knife. Oh, right, we'll put a link to that. Uh, that'd be really good. I want to talk about some specific illustrations uh, in the book. And I, I thought I'd start with the, uh, chapter titles and chapter ends because it's easy to focus in on the big narrative but I'm also interested in the the small things that you choose to represent a whole chapter and yeah. how you come up with those you know so um, maybe we should just have a look at um, some of them I'm looking at chapter five um, and it's called the cocktail party and we've just got a set of wind clothes there sometimes i will try and illustrate the title of the um chapter i'm certainly doing that probably more in the subtle knife but on some of these i it's quite nice to e either to pick something from the from the first page that this is, which is what i did here i just picked something from that first page of text and used that and does the same kind of thinking apply to what you put at the end of a chapter i'm looking at page 94 and we have the crow crow from yeah uh, john Farr's demon that's right yeah i think that's literally just you know what happened at the end of the chapter and also sometimes I, it's quite nice to pair them a bit with the next page in the next chapter and it was these two flying things i thought quite as a nice mirror i thought it was quite a dramatic thing having the crow the crow flying straight out at you sort of thing and it seemed a good way to match it with a with the flying spies you know. yeah i love that idea the kind of balance on the page and the yeah. um it's often the little things like that that can go unnoticed it's very easy to take notice of a, a couple of big bears fighting yeah. i think it's those little things as well that are sometimes you know just really make a book but perhaps we should go to some of the uh, the bigger things. <laughs> I thought on page 136, which is Lyra, I, I wanted to pick this one up because I thought it made the, a point that you were talking about earlier, about wood engraving and the fineness yeah. of uh, what you can do. 
I just think this is stunning with the bear's fur and her hair, her fur collar. I think what I was going for here, I mean, it's quite tricky getting the depth of the two characters and the size of Yorick. So I wanted him to fill the whole thing almost, you know. I think it was the, the idea of, of this quite young small girl suddenly, because this is the first time she gets sort of close to this huge bear and doesn't really know how he's going to behave sort of thing. So there was something, I, don't, I didn't want him scary though, but I wanted it to be a bit of a shock, you know. Which you've also achieved really by having him face us as the reader and having her face yeah. away from us. Exactly. It was it was what it was sort of her you're you're on her shoulder, you're experiencing what she's experiencing, hopefully a bit, you know. And you mentioned something there about size, because I think the whole book plays with scale, with things that are very big and things that feel quite small, whether it's in a landscape or whether it's a character against these other big massive characters uh there's a lot in there that's playing around with that idea mm. well certainly i i i like the idea of, of focusing on small things like like we saw the spy set the spy fly which is a very small thing but you get the, all the detail of what's there hopefully but then the whole book has got an epic sweep of huge things so to get that scale of huge a huge sweep i, I did really try and try and get that as well some of that comes through landscape, doesn't it? I mean, there's some. There's a wonderful illustration of the fens, for instance, in there. The sunset one, yes. I was going to ask you, with the landscapes, also with the Svalbard landscape, uh, what did you take as your reference points for that? Was it photographic or did you know these places? Is it out of your imagination? It's a mixture of all of them. I do know the fens a bit. I've been there a bit. So the feel, the feel of the place, I know what it, what it, what I wanted it to feel like, mm. and uh, I did pinch photos of reeds and things, you know, rushes and whatnot. But a lot of it is 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 just you know you get a picture in your head and you try and get that out on on paper and on whatever before you try and do it. Yeah. Mm. The other thing that comes through really in your wonderful illustration, I often think of woodcut as being quite static. Is it because it's wood engraving that it seems to have much more movement in it? So the characters seem to be more fluid. And just looking at this illustration of the fens, the sky, you can feel that moving. You can feel these reeds bending. Is that the affordance of the, the medium? It's a, it's, it's a paradox with wood engraving and probably with woodcut too, in that I mean, something like drawing and watercolour, you have, it's automatically spontaneous or oil painting like the Impressionists did. It's all movement and on the, you know, whereas to actually do anything with wood, with wood engraving, any sort of vague sort of suggestion of things you can't do. You can't put a couple of lines in a bit of wash of water because if you want to achieve that effect, you have to engrave it as precisely as you do a precise detail. So there's something that it fights against that sort of spontaneity of movement. So you're, I'm aware, certainly like in the sky there, I wanted to get the clouds sort of rushing across the sky a bit. So you have to be aware of when you're cutting it, the marks you make. And in a way, I suppose it's easier to, to achieve when you're totally confident with the, te with the technique mm -hmm. and you're not worried about ruining your block. That's, that's a big thing. These blocks of wood are so expensive that... Um, you can get a bit uptight about, oh, I don't want to make a mistake because it cost me this, you know, 100, 110 pounds, this block of wood. Ooh. So, but you can't do that. You've got to go at it as if it's just a bit of paper. 
mm. and you're going to hack, 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 you know. It doesn't always succeed and you fail, but you've got to be prepared to fail, you know. And there is a lot of movement in this book, not, not only of the, the landscape here, but characters are, are, are very dynamic as well. There is, there's images of Lyra running and you do get that sense of movement coming through. So I was in awe of your technique. <laughs> the other thing that I want to talk about was this very vibrant colour. And you talked about colouring digitally. Um, what about the effect that you use for the northern lights themselves? That almost looks like that. Um, oh, what's that technique? That almost like where the colours are ironed on and they blend in together. I just wondered, is, is that produced digitally? That was, yeah. That the, the, There's a picture on, on page... One, two, nine, the first mm. bit and the Northern Lights. I could have done that as a wood engraving, but it just wouldn't have the, it would have that very static wood cutty wood, wood engraved feel. And it would be a wood cut or a wood engraving interpretation of the Northern Lights rather than the dynamism and sort of excitement of actually the Northern Lights. And, and so I thought, no, I'll do this digitally. So I, that, that is totally digital the way they did that because I wanted it to look like the Northern Lights, you know. And also that I wanted, and it's quite tricky because I wanted the idea of getting this, the city that she sees in the Northern Lights beyond them sort of thing, mm. which is quite difficult to achieve just as wood engraving. So whereas digitally you can attempt that and get it in there, you know. Apart from the time frame uh, and the challenge that provided, what were the other biggest challenges of this project for you? It's deciding what I was going to illustrate, illustrate actually, because there's so some in some parts of the book, there are so many pictures crowding in you think but you can't do them all because they they wouldn't space out the among the text enough even though there, there are some bits where um so many exciting things happened i wanted to do pages you know big full pages every every page of the book but i couldn't do that so that was a bit a bit of a challenge deciding what to illustrate but other than that i th um, the main challenges i mean i don't see them but i didn't see it as challenges i saw, I saw it as opportunity really because to get to illustrate all these things, it was exciting, you know. I thought, great, that's a fantastic picture to do. And I was saying this actually. I did a I did a uh, an event with Philip when the book came out, and I was saying this about making the point that actually, it, it could have been very daunting this book, if I hadn't read it, and I didn't know it, and and there'd been other other iterations of it. There, there was a film. There are some illustrated versions of it, but the illustrations are nothing like the way I'd approach it. So in a way, I wasn't um, at all daunted by the prospect. I thought, right, I've been given a blank page. I can come up with, and because of the way I know the way Philip likes to give the illustrator total free reign, mm -hmm. um, I knew that I could do what I liked. And as long as he liked it too, then I'd be okay. And the other thing was that because I read this book uh, more than 20 years ago, pretty soon after it came out, and I've been with the, with the project uh, and with the book for so long, and, I, and it's in my head, um, I did say to Philip, I, 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 you, you, you gain a certain ownership of the story. You've referenced there some of the other visual interpretations. Do you have to fight against those other visual things coming in and making it kind of composite with yours? Or doesn't that really matter? I mean, I suppose that's in a way that's what it's like for all of us. We take bits from everything we see around us. I don't think I consciously fought against it. And I don't think I consciously tried to be different. I'm sure that some of the images from things like the film or the, or the theatre thing or whatever have come and, and, and formed part of my vision of the book, unconsciously, you know, I, I, I'm sure that's true. 
but nevertheless I have got my own vision of the book so I don't I didn't consciously try and do anything that wasn't the first natural impulse of what I wanted to do and if I did sort of parallel other 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 images then I didn't worry about it you know if that's the way it was that's the way it was Chris I'd like to ask you if there's an illustration that you were really pleased with there's always there's always things that I really look forward to doing and it, I, I did really look forward to doing the pictures with Yorick bear, the bear in these I, he, he was great to do so the one we talked about I enjoyed doing that I also really enjoyed the two fighting bears I knew it was going to be fun to do to actually cut it and make and make the picture you know I quite enjoyed doing the one of the demon cages because I was thinking how how am I going to do this and how to get all these little little demons looking quite um, vulnerable and because it's so sad and awful that chapter isn't it you know i'd like to talk about the um aerial view of london where we look at it from the point of view of the clouds that's that's one of the ones that i did digitally actually well i wondered you can see on the clouds yeah i tried various different methods of doing the clouds and they just looked too heavy and clunky if there was too too much engraving in there. I thought, no, I want them to be fluffy. I don't. I mean, since I've admitted that I'm doing this, I'm colouring it all digitally. They all had to look the same because you can see that I've done I've, I've I've done the rest of it as if it's engraved on a block, and it worked. I think anyway. Hopefully, <laughs> it's wonderful. Did you use um, photograph for? I did use for, I used several photographs of aerial photographs of London because um, I've not been up there. <laughs> to draw it you know? <laughs> i'd have had to go in a hot air balloon and draw it all quickly you know no it was i used lots of photographs and married them together a bit and in, invented bits and invented buildings and things as well but then i'm allowed to because it's not the real london it's a different london it's not of course it's an alternative london a little bit like one we know but not quite the same <laughs> um and finally just about character um so Lyra herself, um, what kind of character were you trying to pick up and develop through your interpretation? Well, she has blonde hair in this, and that's because the TV and the films, they can take liberties and change characters, through them, mm. change the colour of their hair. Whereas I can't do that because I've got to illustrate Philip's words, you see. And if he says this in the text, that's the way it's got to be. So she's got blonde hair, definitely. But also what I, I think I see her as, in a way, quite innocent and childish. But also she's got a really strong, steely character underneath. But she's also a bit fun as well. If I had a criticism of the TV thing, that would be one of the things. I think the Lyra, she's very good. She's a brilliant actress. She's a bit dour and a bit, you know, you know she's not as fun as Lyra ought to be, I think, anyway. <laughs> And um, certainly impertinent and and has quite a sort of um, naughty streak and whatever and all these things. But she's a fantastically strong, steely character underneath. And that's what's amazing. As well as being incredibly, uh, have that wisdom of children. She's very wise, but she is childlike. And that's that's the thing I really liked about the, the writing. And that's what's so strong in the writing. And what's what how Philip, he writes so well about a, a child sort of in an adult's world. And the child sort of, in a way, comes on out on top is, is the sort of, is the, is the hero of this, you know, and that's, that is such a fantastic concept. So you've mentioned that you're working on the subtle knife now. I might hazard a guess that the amber spyglass could come after that. 
Uh, presumably Lyra will have to change a little bit over the course of those three books. Well, she will a bit, but I think what, what's interesting is that the uh, Amber Spyglass literally starts days, just a few days after this book ends. So she hasn't changed an awful lot. And she's still that strong, fiery, you know, fighting character. And what's great in that book is the relationship with her and Will developing. And it's just, that's brilliant. And to, to try and capture some of that in the pictures. Like I've just drawn a sketch of, they have, they have, a, they have an argument um, in Oxford one, when, when they come over to Will's Oxford and they separate and go there, go to the various assignations or whatever. And then they, and then they come back and they have, and they, and she's being a bit sort of showy offy and sort of, you know, bragging about her lying and uh, she, cause she's a bit boastful as well. That's the thing about, you know, she is, has that sort of boastfulness. She's silver tongue. Uh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and then they have an argument. I've just done a picture, which, which, I mean, their pictures, then they're not approved yet. So they may not be in the final book. I'm hoping that this one will, but we'll, we'll see, you know, and it's got, it's a picture of them arguing. So you've got their two heads and they're both looking daggers, you know, they've, they've turned their back, you know, she's turned her back on him and he's, and whatever. So it's quite nice. And then, the, but as the story develops, you know, she respects him more and more and more and he's the leader sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's quite interesting to get that. And I love it in, in the story. It's excellent. You know. mm -hmm. I haven't reread the last book for a long time, actually. And, and um, so I'm I'm going to come to that afresh next year. Really looking if anybody to was in any doubt whatsoever, just listening to you talk just shows us the depth with which you know the book, but also the affection that it holds uh, for you as well. Absolutely. And also the other, you've got to love the story because uh, when I illustrate these, honestly, I read them many, many, many times. And then reading the section I want to illustrate when I pin it down I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do I read it and read it and read it and then I have to sometimes check up to later instance in the book because although there may not be a description of what the character looks like precisely here there might be later in the book so you illustrate it here then you suddenly get to the bit later in the book oh hey I've done him like that and he should be like that you know so you have to be quite meticulous about it so I read them and read them an awful lot but they stand up to rereading that's that's what's great about these books you know yeah, fantastic. Chris, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you in the reading corner today. Uh, and of course, we're delighted to know we've got the subtle knife to look forward to next Christmas. In the meantime, I know there'll be lots of families gathering around this wonderful uh, book, Northern Lights, the new illustrated version. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Nikki. It's been a pleasure.